episode 16 of Expecting Rainbow, a podcast about navigating through life after pregnancy or infant loss. I'm your host, Justine. March is Pregnancy After Loss Awareness Month, and today I'll be chatting with guest Emily McConnell about going through pregnancy after loss during a pandemic and the importance of counting kicks during pregnancy. here with Emily McConnell. She is mom to Margaret and Elise. She's also my probably my closest mom friend and ambassador for Count the Kicks. Thanks for being here, Emily. I'm excited to chat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited you're here. This has been a long time. I know like every week I kept asking and it's just been months. But yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? So my name is Emily. As you said, I live in um, the Charleston area of South Carolina with my husband, our dog Remus, and our daughter Elise, who is eight months old. And then we also have a daughter, Margaret, who is our first child. She would be turning two soon. She would be about 22 months. And she was born on May 10th of 2019 at 37 weeks gestation. And she was born still. And we do not have any conclusive reasons as to why. Um, Everything was unfounded. There was no court accident. She was healthy. I was healthy. Um, So just a lot of whys and what ifs with that. That's always really hard. What was it like like in that first year? I know we share the experience of our firstborn dying and and we met at the Finley Project Gala and the gala was shortly after Margaret died. Yeah, I think it was 11 or 12 weeks after. Um, I found out about the Finley Project pretty quickly. And so they got in contact with me, I think within a week of Margaret's birth slash death. And so that first year, just afterwards, I mean, what a what a horrible time of life, really. Um, yeah. My husband and I decided that we wanted to become foster parents. Uh, that was something we had discussed doing before we had gotten pregnant with Margaret, but we just always thought that we would end up fostering after our children had kind of like grown up and we were empty nesters, so to speak. My husband and I are both teachers, so we see a lot of students who, you know, go through like foster care and we like kids and so we just wanted to help. So after Margaret died, we just decided, you know, what are we waiting for? So um, I think it was in August of 2019, we started um, doing the classes for that and getting certified. And by the end of December of 2019, we were certified foster parents. So that helped us have something to focus on after losing uh, Margaret, but it didn't make it better. Um, It just kind of gave my mind something else to do while at the same time that whole summer, I was very focused on getting pregnant again. And so even though we were in this horrible situation that we didn't want to be in, we also knew that we wanted to grow our family and, you know, hopefully have living children. So um, we basically tried to get pregnant as soon as I got my um, first period after giving birth to Margaret. So 
that's also something that we did. And I found out I was pregnant with her about six months after Margaret had passed away. So by the time we had our first um, foster child come into our house, I was already pregnant. But it was, even though I was pregnant, it didn't take away any of the hurt and the pain that I was feeling for losing Margaret. So that was November, right? Yeah. Of that year? Yes. And then shortly after, there was the pandemic. Yes. (laughs) How was that, like being pregnant through the pandemic and through COVID? Um, Did you have protocols you had to follow for the doctor? Yeah, I would say that it was crazy. I did have protocols to follow for the doctor. I had to wear a mask and no one was allowed to go in with me. And I believe that my husband, he could have gone in for the anatomy scan, but we had already had that before COVID. So that was one of the things my office was letting people in for was anatomy scan. But again, we had already had it. So he got to go in for one growth scan, which I think was around... 30 or so weeks um, because I was considered high risk. So um, I had a growth scan every four weeks once I reached like the middle of the second trimester. So it was just, it was crazy. But at the same time, I wasn't, school was closed. Well, school wasn't closed. We were working from home. And I had said when Dustin and I, my husband were talking about getting pregnant again, I had said that I wished that I could kind of just like hide away and be pregnant again so I wouldn't have people asking me like a bunch of questions and then I kind of of got my wish because um, I hadn't told anyone really at work that I was pregnant again even though I'm sure they could tell and so then I you know the pandemic hit and we just stayed home (laughs) so I wasn't around people to ask me um, all sorts of questions or whether I was so excited and then obviously just figuring out what was safe and what wasn't and having people like figuring out how we were going to have people come visit after the baby was born, if she was born living. And then if she died, you know, what would we be able to do with COVID? I mean, that's nothing you want to think about, but since we had gone through the loss of Margaret, we were also realistic about the fact that not every baby is born breathing. And so I wanted to be as prepared as I could be in case Elise also died. And when Margaret died, our, some of our family members traveled um, to come. And so, you know, I thought, well, that probably wouldn't happen with Elise. Um, And luckily she was born living. So that wasn't even an issue. I also had to get a COVID test before giving birth. And then that was negative. So then my husband and I were able to Um, have our masks off if we wanted. And obviously all the nurses and medical staff had theirs on, but um, so I didn't need to wear a mask during delivery or anything. I could have, but I felt safe enough with all the precautions that they were taking that I wasn't worried about that. I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about making decisions or making plans if Elise hadn't been born living. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like I did all of these things when I was expecting Everett, like making the separate email for the baby newsletters. What were some things you guys planned, like preparing for the what if, like, you know, 
I, I felt like I don't know if Everett's going to be alive. So these are kind of the precautions that I'm taking just in case. Yeah. Well, throughout the whole pregnancy, I just tried to be thankful for like every day that I was given. So I would think like, okay, if she dies, at least, you know, she knows that she was loved because, you know, I'm talking to her or we're reading to her, um, et cetera. I, in the diaper bag for the hospital, I packed like a couple things that I would have wanted. Um, for example, we have a like wooden puzzle that stands up that spells Elisa's name and we had one for Margaret. And so we have pictures of Margaret from Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep with her like Margaret name. And so I took the one for Elise. So that way I would have that in case something happened so that she can have like pictures um, like Margaret did. Mm -hmm. Plain outfit, I guess, to put her in in case. Um, because when Margaret, when we found out Margaret died and we went to the hospital, I didn't repack or take anything out of the diaper bag so when the now I lay me down to sleep people were going to take pictures you know that outfits were more appropriate for a living baby than a dead baby obviously so just trying to make sure I had something that you know would uh, go nicely um, I had a matching swaddle and robe for myself and Margaret and so with Elise I wanted to have one as well just in general um, and so I ended up getting um, Elise like a rainbow one and then I got myself like a solid colored um, robe that matched so it wasn't quite the same as like matchy matchy with Margaret but it was still like oh I wore one of these with Margaret so I'm going to wear one of these with Elise just things like that. And then how was it at the tail end of your pregnancy with Elise? Because I know with Margaret's pregnancy, when you found out she died, that was like the one appointment. Dustin didn't go with you. So how was it going to the last few appointments alone with Elise? It was rough. All the appointments that I had to go to for Elise by myself were rough. So basically any appointment I had with Elise before COVID, Dustin went with me. I was um, considered high risk. So I was seen an MSM too. So I was having lots of appointments. And so Dustin would take off work and we would go together. I was like scared to go by myself. So once COVID hit, I had to go by myself and Dustin would wait in the, um, like Dustin would drive me and then wait in the parking lot. So that way if something happened, he would be close. So going to the lat, like the, basically any of the ones, once I was in the third trimester um, without Dustin were just hard because I was always scared they were going to tell me that her heart was no longer beating or something else was wrong. And I had weekly NFTs, which were twice a week, and then weekly biophysical profiles, which were once a week. So I was going to the doctor a lot. So in one way, I was like, more solid in my thinking about Elise being born alive, like, okay, I just had an NFT, it went well, she's good. But then in the back of my mind, like four hours later, I would be like, Oh, well, that was four hours ago, is she still okay? So I had some, because I was going so often, I had some reassurance about Dustin not being there, but um, him staying in the parking lot was helpful, and he would text me, 
And eventually, because I had gotten so used to going to the appointments by myself, it was okay. But it, I would have preferred him to have been there. And I was just, like I said, always worried that they were going to tell me something was wrong. And in fact, there was one, the growth scan that Dustin actually got to go to or the biophysical profile somewhere in the third trimester. Elise's heart rate was, I don't know, I think in the 170s. And the sonographer said, is her heart rate always this high? And I had been seeing the same sonographer. So I was just like, I don't know, don't you have a record of that? <laughs> and it ended up being that it wasn't really abnormally high, but it just seemed to not be as like resting as hers usually was. So she went and got my doctor and they had me do an NST just to make sure that she was reacting fine and everything. And her heart rate was still high, but Dustin was there for that. And so I felt like, oh, thank goodness I'm not at this appointment alone because, you know, he would have been freaking out separately and I would have been freaking out. And what ended up happening was they brought me a lot of water. And so they thought that her heart rate was excelled because I was dehydrated, which maybe I was, but I also drink a ton of water. So I'm not sure. But Needless to say, they um, had said if it hadn't have gone down, they would have sent me across the street to the hospital to do a longer NST. But sorry, that was a long answer to your question. No, no, no. I remember that, too, because I remember you telling me they think I'm dehydrated, but I drank so much water. I don't think I'm dehydrated. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I don't know. And that appointment was like more so in the morning. Then some of my other appointments had been in the afternoon, but I don't know. Once I drank a few glasses of water, <laughs> she was fine. So it was weird. Yeah. Did you ever go into labor and delivery just for precautions? Yes, I did. I think we went three or four times. So actually, Elise was delivered because and I had just been to the doctor that day, actually, but, and my mom had already arrived. Um, so we were getting close to the day. So I guess this would have been June 30th. And I'd had an appointment that day and I was going to have one like two days later, I think. And I, I was taking my blood pressure because that's something the MFM told me to do. And I had been resting and my blood pressure was high. And so I texted my doctor and she told me to take it again. So I did, and it was still high. So my husband and I we went to labor and delivery, um, and then they ended up admitting me to induce her at 37 weeks because my blood pressure um, was high, essentially. Um, it actually was not reading high at the hospital um, when I first got there, but it did. They got one high reading, so they induced me. Um, so that was, I think, the fourth time, and that was due to high blood pressure. But the other three times we went um, because I was concerned about lack of fetal movement due to counting kicks, which is something I did not do with Margaret because I was not educated about the importance of doing it. So with Elise, I did it a lot. And it wasn't that she wasn't moving at all. It was just taking her longer to get her 10 kicks than it normally did. So if it normally took four to six minutes, one night it took 20 minutes and I was not okay with that. So we went to labor and delivery. So how did you end up learning about counting kicks during Elisa's pregnancy? So I learned about 
counting kicks because after Margaret died, I went to our local um, grief group and I met um, my friend Danielle, who is a ambassador for the state of South Carolina for the nonprofit organization, um, Count the Kicks. And she lost her daughter, Lydia, and did not know about the importance of counting kicks either. And then she learned about it. So she told me that she was an ambassador for Count the Kicks. And I was like, oh, what's Count the Kicks? And then she told me about it. So I actually became educated on counting kicks a couple months after Margaret was born. So then by the time I was pregnant with Elise, I knew a lot more about it and was all prepared to do my kick counting. Why don't you tell us more about how you became an ambassador for Count the Kicks? So Count the Kicks is an evidence-based campaign that teaches expectant parents about the importance of tracking fetal movement. And it was created by the nonprofit Healthy Birthday Incorporated, which was an organization dedicated to preventing stillbirth through the public health campaign. This way people can donate money to Count the Kicks as a nonprofit. So my friend Danielle from Grief Group, like I said, educated me about Count the Kicks and told me she was an ambassador. And my grief group has previously held a walk every October during Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month to honor the babies who were died too soon. Our grief group leader said that they were not doing the walk anymore because there had been some like leadership change within the hospital and they just didn't have a team and didn't have money to do it anymore and that they were still going to do the ceremony um, at the church that they did sometime in the spring to honor babies. So I was talking to Danielle and was just saying that it really sucked that they didn't have a walk anymore and I just wondered how how we could maybe organize something together to have a walk and we kind of decided that if if we were going to have a walk we needed to have some place for that money to go because we weren't just going to be like hey guys Emily and Danielle are throwing this walk this much money will get you a t-shirt and then the money just goes to Emily and Danielle <laughs> So Danielle said, well, let me contact my people at Count the Kicks and see. So um, the Count the Kicks coordinator for the ambassadors was really interested in Danielle's idea. So I helped Danielle organize and coordinate um, our Walk of Remembrance in 2019. And all of the money that we raised went towards Count the Kicks. After the walk, the Count the Kicks ambassador overseer person reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in becoming an, an ambassador for the state of South Carolina since Danielle and I work so well together. And so I accepted. So that's how I became the ambassador. And that's how I became more involved was basically because I met Danielle and she told me about it. I think it's an excellent campaign to prevent stillbirth. It's evidence-based. It works. And so I had no problem becoming an ambassador. It's a volunteer position. I guess I became an ambassador probably in like November of 2019. So then COVID hit real soon after that. But before um, COVID happened, Danielle and I were able to present at a conference in February of 2020 for teachers of like 
health health education, um, like family and health education. So people who would teach like childhood development or um, the class <laughs> where the kids in the high school take care of the baby dolls. Mm-hmm. So not like gym. Um, so we were able to talk about um, like count the kicks and stillbirth there and just how it would be an important thing for them to add to their curriculum for high school students so that they were getting this information because in textbooks, um, the textbooks for these classes, they talk about SIDS. So they talk about preventing death once the child is born. So we feel as though it's important to talk about preventing death before the child is born outside of the womb as well. Yeah, that's so cool that you can see this curriculum form and like have that awareness raised so that people can learn. Because it is wild how many people don't realize so much can happen in the nine months of pregnancy. Yeah. Well, and even the information people get about counting cakes is incorrect sometimes. So, for example, our Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep photographer also took our photos, our maternity photos with Elise and then our newborn photos of Elise. And then she coincidentally ended up moving in our neighborhood. So now she's our neighbor and our friend. And um, it's really awesome to me because she's met like both of my children, which, you know, very few people have done. And she is expecting in July of this year. And she recently went to a expecting parent class and she texted me, oh, they're talking about kick counting. And I said, great, I hope the information that they're giving you is correct. So she told me that the information they gave her was to count kicks twice a day and make sure you are getting 10 to 20 kicks in two hours. Well, based on all the evidence that we know that we can get from the evidence-based campaign of Count the Kicks, every baby is different and moves differently. So what you're really looking for is 10 kicks and just how long it takes your baby to get 10 kicks. So as I said earlier, Elise got 10 kicks within four to six minutes. And if it was over that, I freaked out and we went to labor and delivery. So some babies, it might be normal for them to get 10 kicks in an hour. But for Elise, if she had gotten 10 kicks in an hour, something would have been stressing her out and something would have been wrong. So I was then able to tell my neighbor and friend this. And then I also gave her one of my count the kicks brochures. So um, it's just interesting how we can count kicks to prevent stillbirth, but then Some people talk about it, some people don't, but then the information out there about counting kicks is not always up to date. Right. And that's also frustrating. But now South Carolina is about to hopefully get all the right information because Count the Kicks is about to launch in the whole state of South Carolina, right? Yes, which is awesome. That's so exciting. How can people in other states become more involved with Count the Kicks or spreading awareness of kick counting? Okay, so how more people can get involved with Count the Kicks or share awareness is if you follow them on social media. So they have um, Facebook and Instagram. I'm pretty sure they also have Twitter, but I don't, so I can't speak (laughs) to that for sure. But if you follow them on social media, you can then also share their posts um, and sharing their posts just gets out the information of what Count the Kicks is to your friends. Um, You can check out their website, which is countthekicks.org. 
And if you are pregnant, they have a Count the Kicks app that is completely free. It counts twins and it's available in like over 15 languages. If someone is interested in coming a, in becoming an ambassador, they can just go to the website. Um, if you're interested in knowing what's available in your state, because South Carolina is not the only state that is about to have free materials for all health practices, there are other states that already do. So you can also go to the website and see if there's an ambassador in your state and you can reach out to that person. Um, if you are interested in more information or if you want materials, they can provide you with that. Or if you want to see if they need any support, you could reach out to the ambassador that way. You could reach out to the ambassador to get the materials to provide to your doctor or friends and family. You can also order them online. But if they're free, if you live in a state where Count the Kicks is funded, which is what you mean by Count the Kicks getting ready to launch in South Carolina, is that our um, DHEC is getting ready to fund Count the Kicks as part of the public health campaign. So all the doctor's offices and hospitals, et cetera, will be able to get Count the Kicks materials for free in the state of South Carolina, and then we'll be able to provide them to their patients. And you can share the app with people you know that are pregnant. You can always donate because it is a nonprofit. They're always in need of money for just getting the word out there, but also app updates and, you know, partnering with people. There are YouTube videos discussing Count the Kicks and how to count kicks if you are pregnant yourself or know someone who is. There are resources such as you can go on the website to see the evidence-based resources on the importance of fetal monitoring in the third trimester and the importance of counting kicks. Um, and you can see the reduction of stillbirth rate in the state of Iowa, which is where Count the Kicks launched. And I believe now, since its launch, it has reduced the stillbirth rate 35% by making people aware of counting kicks and doing it correctly. 35% in Iowa? Wow, that's so amazing. Yeah, so it's different by each state. And obviously the data is a year behind. So I'm pretty sure when we presented at the conference in 2020, it had just come out and was the data from maybe 2018. And they also have on the website baby saves, which is where you can meet babies who were saved by kit counting. Um, so that's sharing babies and ways to show the importance of the life-saving campaign. Yeah, I I get those emails, and it's just so, every time I see a picture of a baby and read the story, it really, I think when I was pregnant, it encouraged me to really speak up and advocate for myself, because, you know, why not? Like, why wouldn't you say something? Because it might not seem like a big deal, but just going in could could save your baby's life. Yes, I agree. Those baby save stories. And that's something if you start following the Count the Kicks page, I would encourage everyone to share those baby saves because I think I agree with you. It encourages people to speak up. And especially with COVID, some women are seeing their doctors less. 
because they're trying to limit, you know, how many people are in the office and how often they're seeing patients. And so just really trying to get people to advocate for themselves if they think something is amiss. And, you know, for me, I went into L&D, you know, four times, I, I think, with Elise's pregnancy. And I was never treated like I was stupid or like I shouldn't have come in. And in fact, every time it was like, you know, just come back anytime. We're here 24 hours. Yeah, that's so great. And I have to correct myself. So the Iowa, they have lowered stillbirth rate by 32% in 10 years. Wow. So when Count the Kicks first started in 2008. That's amazing. But yeah, I really would. I feel like when I, during my first pregnancy with Steven, I just did not know. I did not know about kick counting or counting the kicks. And I didn't, I feel like I didn't know about a lot of things. I agree. I think that's like, now that we know all these people who have lost babies, it's like, we know all these situations that we didn't know before. So, you know, I, I'm just more aware of all the things that people go through in, in pregnancy and to, you know, to have a living child. And, you know, it, it's a lot harder than we were told in sex ed. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's so beautiful just how you're honoring Margaret through counting the kicks and just everything. I feel the same way about Lydia, Danielle's daughter, and all of the babies of all the ambassadors for County Kicks and, you know, Steven and just all the babies that I know. But I have had people, and I know Danielle has too, like reached out to us about um, babies that were saved because of us sharing our story, which means babies, you know, were saved because of Margaret and Lydia. And that's, you know, it's very special, but I still, yeah, I still wish she was here. Yeah. That's it's just uh I feel really moved by the impact of their lives. I know you have a blog that you started after Margaret died, um, just sharing your story and experience of life. Yes, it's called stillarmaggie.com and I have been <laughs> very bad about posting recently so I do have a couple posts about pregnancy after loss and a couple posts after Elise has been born but most of it is Margaret's story and things that you know and about the walk of remembrance which was the first um count the kick South Carolina walk but um I need to get back to writing I know that there's probably not a lot of people that even follow it but I do think sometimes like oh my gosh I gotta get back to my fans like I gotta <laughs> I gotta get back to the community and help help people um I know our grief group nurse always gives our blog to new um lost parents and so I do just think like oh, I just you know I remember what it was like to feel that raw pain and you know just reading other people's experiences and listening to other people's experiences helped me so much because it was like uh other people have gone through this which is so horrible because you don't want anyone to experience that pain but at the same time you don't want to be alone and so I just um so we do have the blog. That's why we started it. And my husband and I both write. And we have the Instagram that goes with the blog. So it's just at Still Our Maggie. Um, and I would encourage your listeners to follow. 
and hopefully that will give me some motivation to keep to keep writing. Well, I think you you do you've been doing posting on the Instagram. I have been, but I haven't even done that in a while. I used to do it, um, try to post every week, but life. I know. And that's another thing that we've talked about, too. I, I think uh, for both of us, sometimes it, sometimes it's hard to separate that trying to raise awareness and share our experiences while also parenting after loss. It's like, how do we find the balance and not fall into the emotional spiral that can happen while taking care of Everett and Elise? Right. And it is hard. And I feel like you just have to be in that headspace where, you know, I feel like I can really just let myself go. And sometimes, you know, that's at night after my living child has gone to bed. And I just, you know, don't want to spend three hours crying. Um, but even though I don't haven't been posting on the blog, I have a notebook that I handwrite um, letters to Margaret in. And so I have done that more than writing things on my computer to post on the blog. So I would also encourage um, anyone who is living life after loss um, to write to their child, even if it's just once a year on their birthday or even less than that. I found it really, in a sense, a nice way to connect with her. Even though I'm not, I'm like, you know, she's not there, but yeah, I know it feels like I'm talking to her. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining and chatting with me today and just sharing about your pal experience and also more about Count the Kicks. And I'll be including all of the Count the Kicks information you shared in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I look forward to perhaps being on this podcast again. Yes, I'm sure you will. (laughs) We have plans.